I want to be a, a quick this morning and uh, really just want to uh, focus in on the what? They play at three? Who cares? Why would they even schedule a Raptors game on Super Bowl Sunday? You know, why? Why would it? Uh, that's true. That's true. We'll give them that. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give them that anyway. Yeah, we'll give them that. They are the world champion. It is basketball, but we'll give them that, you know. Uh, you know, the, the real party will happen when the Leafs win the cup. That's when the real party will happen. Uh, uh, the Raptors have been doing good even without Kawhi. That's, that's amazing. It's awesome. It's awesome. What, 10 in a row now? 10 in a row, right? Yeah, 10 in a row. Yeah, it's uh, fantastic. All joking aside, it's awesome. Praise the Lord. And uh, we're grateful for that. Well, um, I know I've been, uh, been laying a lot of foundation work before we dive into the, to the uh, gifts of the Spirit. But this morning, um, I'm just going to kind of quickly go ahead. This is what we talked about last week. Why we're not cessationists, right? Scripture, why we're not cessationists. Experience, why we're not cessationists. And uh, what am I? Remember that great word? We're, you're a continuationist. That's what you are. And, uh, and, and just recognizing that just because we live in, we walk in, and we believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, doesn't make you a better Christian than anybody else. doesn't make you more valuable than anybody else. But it can make you more useful. And that this is about being used by God, that we want to be people who listen to the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. So today I want to talk about, just before we go any further in this whole thing, I really felt God saying to me this week how important it is for us to have our foundations in order. And um, there's a, you know, a lot of stuff you see, you know, especially if you're a builder in here, you guys know what this is like, how bad it is when the foundation's off. My wife and I, we were a when we lived pastor and Lindsay, there were, they were building houses. There was a boom going on at the time. It was crazy. It was a community that experienced the boom before Belleville because it was closer to Toronto. So they were throwing houses up. And there was a builder. His name was Chicken Dance. Sounded sketchy to start with. And uh, they, were, they were building houses in behind. A whole new subdivision went in behind our church. Brian, you might remember those new houses going in behind the church there. But you're about the only one who had been old enough, I think, to even have any visual of it. But... But, you know, they were building these houses back there at a ridiculously furious pace. And, uh, and anyhow, one of the problems was that whoever was doing the foundation work for them, many of the houses had to be, uh, the, the foundation was poured so poorly and the walls so poorly that they, when the building inspector came, they were, there were houses that were off six inches from one corner to the other from being uh, level. Can you imagine? Six inches. Who? Who does that? It was some builder had come up from Toronto, was building these things. Six inches. Uh, they had houses that the family moved in. They, the, the first night in the house, one, one house, the woman, she, she ran a bath. She had a bath. She pulled the plug, and it all ended up in her kitchen. They hadn't hooked the drain up on the, on the tub. There was just one horror story after another. But the, the worst thing was the houses with the foundation off, because when that foundation's crooked, you can't build on it. You can't. You're, unless you want to build the Leaning Tower of Pisa, you're going to be fighting against the whole thing the whole time. If the foundation's off, there's, the whole structure's done. And so these houses had to be repaired even before they began. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And uh, spiritually, we're, we're really no different. If our foundations are off, if your foundation is not correct, if it's not solid, if it's not plumb, if it's not true, 
it's not level, if it's not solid, if it's too shallow, right? All of those things, if your foundation's not good, then everything you're trying to build in your life on top of it is not going to work because the foundation's off. You have to get the foundation right in order for the structure to be good. Does that make any sense to anybody? And when we start talking about, you know, the gifts of the Spirit and the moving of the Spirit, you know, you get, you never hear stories about Pentecostals and swinging from chandeliers and all that kind of stuff and, and, you know, getting made fun of. But the thing that I think bothered people the most is that we claimed to have an encounter with Holy Spirit, yet our foundation looked worse many cases than people whose foundations or whose experiences weren't as demonstrative. And if we're going to claim to have had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, we should have a better foundation. We should have a, 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 a stronger foundation underneath our experience than anybody else. If we're, gonna, if we're going to be a people who, who say, man, we, we, we meet with God, God speaks to us, then, then should it not have the effect of writing our foundation, correcting anything that's out of line there? Does that make any sense to anybody? And so when you hear stories of evangelists falling and all this stuff, don't get me wrong, it happens to every denomination, but they're most cringeworthy to me when it happens to Pentecostals and Charismatics because I'm like, you know, where was the prophetic brother to speak into that guy's life and correct it before it got off, crop, off course? Where, where, was there, where, where was the Holy Spirit speaking to that person when they were indulging in all these things that they were doing, right? It shouldn't happen. Turn the person beside you and say, you're right, it shouldn't happen. Come on. Shouldn't. Shouldn't. I printed this off this morning at the church. Forgot that I had cardstock in there. So, so Barry said, well, if, if it's really good this morning, then you might just want to keep using cardstock. So we'll just see what happens here. Uh, you know, the first thing we have to understand about the work of the Holy Spirit is it is indeed free for asking. All of the gifts in Scripture are given by grace, right? And I have to say that because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things in a few minutes that are going to sound like going to sound, everybody say sounds like, remember when you're, you're, you're playing uh, charades, right? um, but going to sound like I'm talking about, uh, about God working in, 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 in response to or giving because of, of who we are and not who Jesus is. And that's, so I got to repeat this before we even go any further that everything that we receive from God is a gift from God and it's given by his grace. And, uh, you know, and that we, can, we get it by free. We don't, and, and when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, this is really important. That we can't acquire them any other way. There's a really unique story in Scripture in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 22. And I don't know if you guys remember the whole story, but uh, this guy named Simon, he comes up and he asks the disciples. He sees them praying for people and them receiving the Holy Spirit, right? And, uh, and so Simon is amazed by this and he thinks it's awesome. So he comes and he offers the, the apostles money so that he can receive. Can I buy this? Can I buy this ability too? I, I want to be able to lay hands on people and, and see awesome things happen. Do you guys remember the story? And, uh, and Simon gets pretty soundly rebuked, right? And uh, Peter said, may your money perish with you. Here's a strong word. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord perhaps... I love that. Perhaps God will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Whew, that's strong. Perhaps God will forgive you. If you're lucky, God's going to forgive you. Wow. Wow. That's, I mean, you know, that's one of the strongest rebukes in all of Scripture. And it's regarding trying to buy something that God gives us for free. 
Everybody say, it's only for free. And there's a few other scriptures that reinforce that, uh, you know, uh, Matthew 7, you know, uh, where he says, ask and it'll be given to you, seek and you'll find, right? Knock and it'll be open for you. Um, and, then he sa- and then he concludes saying, you know, that uh, if you being carnal or earthly know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to them that asks? Similar passage in Luke 11, 9, 13, uh, yet it says not good gifts. It says how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So there's no question that the gifts that we're talking about are freely given by God's grace. They're not purchased. They're not earned. They're not something that you, you are given because you earned it. Does everybody follow that? And I, and I got to make that really strong here before I go on because I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm about to say. So they're free for the asking. So God delights in giving good gifts to his children. All we have to do is ask, seek, and knock. Uh, His gifts are there, free for the asking, and God will not tolerate thinking that we can acquire the gifts by any other means. Is that clear, right? So now let's move on. So the gifts are free, but, everybody say but. 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 Gifts are free, but it's important for us to understand that God can be motivated to give gifts. They're free, you don't earn them, but you can, God can be motivated now, this is where you have to understand the difference, what I'm talking about. Um, there's a lengthy passage in Scripture from Matthew chapter 25 about the man who goes away and he gives his talents out to the servants, right? You guys know the story of the talents. To one he gives uh, five, to another two, and to another one, right? And the guy with five invests his and he gets five more. The guy with two invests his gets two more. The guy with one buries his because he knew his master was harsh, right? And so he wanted to make sure he preserved it and gave it back. And then at the end, he calls the men forward for accountability, and he, uh, he blesses the man who doubled it, and he puts him in charge of, of like 10 cities, right? And the other man, he puts him, you doubled yours, I'm going to put you in charge of cities as well. And the third guy, he, he rebukes him because he should have at least, he said, put it on uh, at the bank or put it on hold or invested it for, so it would have received some interest. And that whole parable, that whole parable is a, an, a picture into the, what motivates God. What motivates God, right? What motivates you as a parent to give more to your children? Think about this. I mean, everything you give to your kids is, is they get it for free just because they're your kid, right? We've already established that. It, it's, it's by grace. It's a gift. However, what motivates you to want to give them more? What motivates you to want to do more? I think what motivates us to want to go the extra mile for them is when we see them invest or use what we've already given them, right? When you see them take what you've given us, given them and use it or, 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 or do something with it or, or uh, enjoy it and, and, and be blessed by it and, and use it to do more, then you want to give them more, right? Doesn't that make sense? When you see a return on that investment, you're motivated to give more. I think that's what this parable is telling us as well. That God is motivated when he sees us put to use the gifts that he's given us freely and produce a return from them. Seeing your children uh, make use of those investments is what helps you. And then here's the most powerful passage from that whole parable. And it says, for everyone who has will be given more, 
and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And that passage is so powerful, and some people are like so offended by that word. But let me just insert a word in this passage and show you how it makes sense. For everyone who invests what he has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not invest what he has, even what he has will be taken from him. You see, if you understand what the parable is trying to communicate is how we invest what we've got, then that passage makes incredibly awesome sense. It's not mean-spirited. It's not contrary to the nature of God. It's about investment, and the parable's teaching us that we need to invest. That we need to take what God gives us, and we need to invest it. Our talents, our abilities, our gifts, our opportunities, our time, everything. God's saying, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? So, gifts are free, but God works by grace. And God responds to investment. It's not earn deserve, but I believe it is invest, right, and harvest. Or invest and receive. Both principles are divine, right? Seed time and harvest. So it's not earned deserve. You're not getting these things because you earn them, but you are receiving because you invest them. You get a dividend on it because you invest it. And, and if you don't understand the difference, the subtle difference between the two, it can, it can throw your, your whole life into a shambles because you can think, oh, well, you know, I wasn't given any gifts because God doesn't love me or I didn't earn them. No, none of that's true. That's a lie from the enemy. God's freely given you an abundance. Everybody say an abundance. An abundance of stuff. Gifts, abilities, talents, an abundance. But he is saying, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? God doesn't want you to take it and put it on the shelf and let it rot. What are we doing with what God has given us? So, what can we give God? What can we give God then? What can we, how, how do we invest? How do we, how do we take what God has given us and invest it? What, what does that look like? What kind of, of, of a thing do we do with what God has given us? What kind of foundation do we build so that God can pour more on top of us? That's the question that I want to leave with us this morning. And here it is. There's two things that we can do or we can build. Our character and our faith. If you want to know what can I really give God, because he's the one who's given everything to me, how do I really invest? I invest in my character. I invest in my faith. I build my character. I build my faith. These are the things that I can give back to God in response to what he's given me. These are the ways in which I can invest, in which I can uh, pour my life in so that harvest can come on top of it. It's not about money. It's not even about time. It's about things that are more foundational than that. Our character and our faith. Because if we can get these two things ordered with God, everything else falls into place. Right? Everything else falls into place. It rises and falls on these two things. On these two things. Your character. Your character is something that you build and you offer to God. You know, before we talk about things like prophecy, interpretation of tongues, working miracles, healing, all that kind of stuff, 
we have to emphasize the truth that your character is the most precious gift that you can present to the Father, is your character. Bill Hybels wrote a book, and it was called, Who Are You When Nobody's Looking? Who are you when nobody's looking? Who am I when nobody's watching me? Am I, what is my conduct like when nobody's watching me? Do I act differently when I'm here than when I'm home? Now, I understand there's, there's discretionary things. There's things that we, you know, obviously don't, you know, we, act, we practice discretion when we go to the bathroom, and so we don't need to get silly about this. You know what I'm saying? But what things, do we, are we genuine person? Are we the same person all the time? Right? And, and I think that, that this is at the core of it. And character is such a foundational thing. And, uh, you know, many times, you know, if there's one thing that people pick up on and they like to throw out as an accusation against Christians is you're a big what? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. Now, sometimes it's just used because they can't come up with an original word, and they just have an axe to grind against Christians, period, and it's not necessarily accurate. But the reality is it's the one thing we want to try and take away from them. We want to do everything to, to live your life in such a way that that piece of fuel is taken away from you. Are you hearing me? Strip them of that weapon. As quick Christians, if we're yielding to the Spirit then we should be able to build lives of character. If we're spirit people, then surrendering ourselves to God so that he changes our lives does enable us to build a life of character. And as a result of being indwelt by the spirit, then our lives, the Bible says, should bear fruit, much fruit, more fruit, and fruit that what? That remains. Fruit that people can see and is there all the time. Spiritual fruit, therefore, is more important than spiritual gifts. If you walk around using spiritual gifts and you don't have fruits of righteousness, then all you get is that label hypocrite slapped on you and people ignore you. And unfortunately, they ignore the gift. And here's the, the, the weird thing about God is that he'll release the gift even if your character isn't good. Because the Bible says the gifts and the callings of God are given without what? He doesn't change his mind about it. So in other words, even if you're not where you need to be, God's still going to... Pour it out, and eventually, the Bible says, you know, your, your gift will make a way for your exposure. You'll get, you'll get seen for what you really are eventually, because the gift will be the one thing that you're walking in, and people will go, wait a minute, that gift and that person ain't quite the same, and boom, exposure. But God doesn't do it to you to expose you. He does it to you to... To, to break you, to bring you back into alignment with your calling, with your purpose, and with his nature, with his spirit, with his love. Character. Character. And, and, and character isn't built by going around and helping everybody else with, with their character. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like God hasn't given you a new ministry. Oh, well, now the pastor talked about character. Boy, do I have a few people I need to talk to. Because I have found me a few hypocrites in the house of the Lord. And I am going to go fix them all today. No, God has not given you that ministry. You know, we, we used to tell our kids all the time, and, and I've heard it said many, many times, that every time you point your finger at somebody, you've got three of them pointing back. Right? These little three, they're all pointing right back at you. So, uh, you know, when you're perfect, then you can go and point your finger at other people. Right? When you get there, 
When you get there, then by all means, you just let everybody else have it when you're perfect. You just let me know when that day is. Uh, come and talk to me about it. Say, listen, I'm perfect now. I'm a perfect being. I've never sinned. I have got it all under control, and God will make you the, the judge. But that day ain't going to come because there's only one judge, and, that's, and there's only one who's perfect, and it is God. Right? What about it? Oh, sorry, yeah, it's 11.6, by the way. Yeah, I know I looked it up earlier. I went 10.6, not 10.6, it's 11.6, then I forgot to change it on this side. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, character. Character, that's what your God's calling you to build. That's your, your first foundation. And the second foundation that we have in order to walk in the gifts and in order to be used by God is faith. It's faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I want to read it to you from my new fangled passion translation that I'm just really enjoying here. Oh, yeah, here we go. And uh, listen to how it's worded in here. And without faith living within us, it would be impossible to please God. For we come to God in faith, knowing that he's real and that he rewards the faith of those who passionately seek him. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? faith. God's moved by faith. It's not earned deserve, but it is seed time and harvest. God is a rewarder of faith. I can sow my character. I can sow faith. When I sow those things, God's a rewarder of it. Your faith. Your faith. What's the root of faith? Faithfulness. And what does it all boil down to? Trust. God is a rewarder of those who trust him. Do you know what? I tell couples this all the time is that it's easy to say, I love you to somebody. But it's even more powerful if you can say, I trust you. Trust is, is the foundation of relationships. The bridge of trust, right? And if you can look somebody in, in, the, in the eye and say, I trust you, that's even deeper than saying, I love you. In fact, there's many people I love, but I don't trust. Right? I don't trust because they're, they're, they have demonstrated to me themselves not to be trustworthy. But I still love them, right? But trust is something deeper than even love, if you can wrap your head around that. And that's why faith is so important, because faith is actually a declaration of trust. It's a declaration of trust. So, if we earnestly desire to walk in live a life of the Spirit, church, then these two areas of our life are going to be tested. God's going to test our character and he's going to test our faith because these are the foundations we have to build with. God will test your character and then he'll test your faith and then he will respond accordingly. He wants to see where we're at and he wants to expose where we're at. It's not that he doesn't know where we're at, but he needs to expose it so we get to see where we're at. And um, how many of you know of a guy named Graham Cook? You ever heard him? Graham said, everything in life is a test. And every test in life is about seeing if you can be trusted. And uh, when I heard that, oh, wow. He had another thing he, he liked to say about being tested. He said, he said, God never fails anybody on their tests. You don't fail God's tests. You just get the same test over and over again until you pass. And so if you're asking yourself, why does this put in 
whatever it is, always seem to happen to me. You ever said that? Maybe because the first 12 times you haven't passed the test yet. God's waiting for you to stand with character and stand in faith, pass the test. And until you do, you're going to get the same test over and over again until you pass. That's why I keep getting idiot drivers in front of me because I haven't completed the test yet of how to bless that silly person in front of me. Instead of saying, what is wrong with you? It's the tall, skinny pedal. Hit it. Move forward. You know, I still find myself losing my glue occasionally when I'm driving. And so I still get those people in front of me. Why? Because I haven't passed the test yet. What color green are you waiting for? Exactly. You know what I'm talking about. You know, it's like, you know, come on with it already, right? So... I know that's a funny example, but it's an, it's, it, it demonstrates what I'm talking about. There are many tests that you get in life that are, they show up as frustrations, and you've got to pass them before, you know, those things are going to subside in your life. Because you've got to learn how to get through it. You've got to grow. You've got to pass the test. That is your character and your faith. Um, if, if, when we start talking about tongues, interpretation tongues, and healing, and prophecy, and all this stuff, if, if this isn't an order in your life, if you are one thing here and one thing prophesying over people and everything else, and, and then you're drunk every night and you're slapping your spouse around and you're, you know, doing this and you're doing that, my goodness gracious, do the whole world a favor, sit down and stop operating in the gifts. Hello? Please, please, I implore you. Oh, are you saying we have to be perfect before we can operate in the gifts? No, no. But being perfected would be good. Engaged in the process of being perfected would be great. And if you're not willing to engage in the process, then, I hate to say it this bluntly, then sit down and shut up. Hello? And someone might come up to you and say, why are you so quiet? You can just say, I'm in process. <laughs> That's Okay. <laughs> Yeah, next week it's going to be crickets in here. You know, it's, it's all right to be able to say I've made progress too, though. Hello? It's one of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery, different than Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a, what makes it different is that Celebrate Recovery is about, is about process and progress. Right? We celebrate both. We celebrate the fact that we're always going to be in process the rest of our life. But we also recognize the milestones of progress. Right? Are you hearing me? And that, that, you know, I may have been an alcoholic, but by God's grace, I am no more. And now I'm working on this. Every time someone at Celebrate Recovery stands up and speaks, they say, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who celebrates victory over A and is working on B. Right? Progress, process, both declared every week. Are you hearing me? That's the way it's supposed to be, amen? All right, stand with me together. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Now, now that I've, if there's a religious spirit left in the room, it's stirred up now. Hallelujah. Stir it up and leave and let you guys deal with it in the two weeks when I'm away. That's great. That is called planning right there. <laughs> oh, man, we got some cake to eat out there. Um, I don't know if, uh, if, if uh, Megan or Dan or anybody, is there any coffee still on? Would there be? There isn't, is there? Could we, could, we, could we throw some on real quick? 
just in case somebody has to have some. I didn't know if we'd, we'd plan that ahead of time or not, but that would be great. We'll run through a couple pots of coffee, and uh, we'd love for you to stick around and wish Mark a happy 63rd birthday and uh, all that kind of stuff. That would be great. <laughs> Doing good, buddy. Doing good. That's, that's awesome. Uh, that would be great. Uh, thank you for being with us this morning. It's awesome to have you here. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, folks, if you're a regular and you see somebody you don't recognize, would you welcome them? If you see somebody that you don't know very well, would you spend some time getting to know them? That's what a family does. And uh, don't let those people leave without a handshake, without a warm greeting, without you asking them a few questions, finding out who they are, and uh, loving on them a little bit. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you that, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, you have given us the ability to build a good foundation, character and faith. We lay those things underneath us, Father, and then everything that we do, every act of love, every demonstration of your Holy Spirit and your power, Father, has weight, has power, has authority because of who we are. And Father, we are who we are because of Jesus. And Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Awesome.